Hey guys, if you like listening to us, um, you can follow us on Twitter or email us. Follow us on Twitter at writer, W-R-T-R, bagel, B-A-G-E-L, basket, B-S-K-T, on Twitter, or email us, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you want to do. Submit fan art. Submit a logo. Do anything, because we want to hear from you. And if you have show suggestions, email them. I'm Scott Kerland, and he's Scott Kerland, and we watch Writer's Bagel Basket. He's Scott Kerland, and I'm Scott Kerland, and we're doing Bob's Burgers. I guess we watched Bob's Burgers, uh, Season 5, Episode 1, Work Hard or Die Trying Girl, so you know what that means. It's in the basket, Writer's Bagel Basket. Tear me apart, Lisa! Because if you were going to be some lame suburban dad, why couldn't you have been that for me? Correction, Homer, you're the second. That's right, Mr. Peabody! Quiet, you! Ever banged an entire bachelorette party, baby? It was time now. It was, was all the time I needed. Welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I'm Scott Kerland, and back for this magnificent journey uh, through Musical March is... You can talk now. Hi, I'm Lee Martin, and you've, you're stuck with me again. So, Lee, um, what did we watch? Uh, we watched the uh, Work Hard or Die Trying Girl episode of Bob's Burgers, one one of the better ones. It's their musical episode, and the funny thing is, it's it's like a musical, but it's also like making fun of middle school musicals, <gasps> and having done school musicals, like this hit all the this hit all the marks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, so the episode is about... Take it away, Lee. Okay, so um, it actually opens, like, uh, mid-scene, but, like, the gist of it is... uh, The gist of it is um, there's, like, an open call for the students of uh, Wagstaff to uh, come up with... For the students of Wagstaff to come up with an idea for this year's spring see fall. what fall musical mm-hmm. and gene seeing an opportunity to basically just sort of do his passion project die hard the musical uh auditions for it only to be shut out by uh what was her name again courtney only to be shut out by courtney voiced by david wayne that that's weird casting because david wayne from, from wet the hot state. the state wet hot american summer and stella stella uh he also directed they came together and he was also Wonderlust. in Super Jail. What? He was also in Super Jail. No idea what that is. Uh, I was a cartoon on Adult Swim. He did the voice of the warden. Oh, okay. That's weird. That seems like out of character for him. No, it was a pretty silly show. So, <clears throat> um, the episode, you know, starts in the middle and then goes backwards because uh, Mr. Frond, who is the guidance counselor, basically has... Bob and Linda and the whole Belcher clan and Courtney and her dad in his office. And he's like, okay, what is going on? And this is like, I would say this is a combination of like diehard working girl and Rashomon. Right. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Cause it's like people's different perspectives. And And they basically proceed to tell Mr. Frond the story about how Courtney shut Jean out 
with her idea for a musical based on the movie Working Girl. <laughs> the sexy sister film. <laughs> <laughs> to Die Hard. To Die Hard. Um, I am a huge Die Hard fan. It's one of my favorite franchises. Or it would have been if they didn't have to go and make a fifth one. That one really... <laughs> that one upset me. I've only ever seen the first Die Hard, but... I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's the only one I need to see. Um, number two is not bad. Number three is fine. Four is great. Mm. Uh, but what's his name? Uh, Bruce Willis hates four. Ah. Uh. Because it was a PG-13 movie. Was uh, the fourth one Live Free or Die Hard? Yep. Ah, uh, okay. That's the Timothy Oliphant one. The one that had Kevin Smith in it as a cameo. Yep. As the warlock. Um, so... Knowing Gene, Gene is one of my favorite characters on the show. Um, I just love how Gene, Gene is so outgoing. He's crazy and he's brash and he just says ridiculous things. And like, he's completely shameless about it too. Yeah, you were mentioning your favorite quote from from the series. Yeah, it was, my favorite uh, quote of all time is like, like half a Gene quote. Um, It's from the episode where they're on the wine tasting train and it's Gene, Louise, and uh, Rudy. One of my favorite characters, regular size Rudy. <laughs> regular size Rudy. They're all trying to get to like the cart on the train that has the chocolate fountain. They run into like the conductor or the security guard, whatever he was. And uh, at this point, Louise has lost her shoes, and Gene has lost all of his clothing except for his underwear. And the guard basically goes, uh, "What's going on here? What are you kids doing? Why aren't you wearing shoes?" Luis replies, oh, because I'm poor. I'm so poor. Okay, but you there, why don't you have any clothes? To which Gene replies, because I'm rich! I just love Eugene Merman. Like, he does... Yeah, he he puts his all into the voice acting for that role. And (coughs) there's a moment in the show where, where they're talking about Gene's perspectives and Courtney's perspective, and, uh... He basically says that he shut Courtney out to begin with because she wanted to be part of Die Hard the Musical, and he said that like he politely told her no, and and Courtney accepted it outright. And then she said, "That's not what happened. This is what happens." And he goes, "No, because I hate you and tacos." And then he farts, and everyone's like, "Yeah, that sounds like Gene." Yeah, that's a, that's about right. Because both of them could have been like Gene. Because there are two sides of Gene. There's like the kind of. OT, the outside toilet sensitive gene, and then there's the I'm insane gene. <laughs> and the side of gene that wears a Sasquatch costume an entire episode. Yeah, um, OT is my favorite episode. That's the one with John Hamm as a talking toilet. Oh, I forgot about that episode. <laughs> um, and that's a more sensitive gene that, uh, but this one. Um, is an insane Gene. Gene is like completely batshit crazy in this episode. Insane and clearly just following a muse the whole time. Yeah. Because like he's insane, but he also clearly has something of a master plan in his head. And here's an example like what we talked about with Oz. This this doesn't do the musical <gasps> episode to like the very end. Well, I mean, it's slightly more traditional of a musical episode than the Oz one, because this one was actually, you know, based around a musical. It didn't have musical numbers in it all the time, but the whole episode was about, you know, just the musical. Right. And leading up to it. And, right. Um, 
I just love the songs, especially the diehard songs. Uh, Nakatomi, 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 Nakatomi. So, Courtney, this is what I always like hated about Courtney, because she always has to run to her dad. Her dad writes the entire musical. He directs the entire musical. Her like, dad, who's voiced by John Michael Higgins. Who, the legendary John Michael Higgins. I'll go hide behind that trash barrel. <laughs> um, and... I, I guess, like, in theater, th- there are these stage parents who, who get insane. Like, I, I know a few um, stage moms who, you know, have directed plays that have have gone far with power. It's like week. it's like an archetype, and it's definitely appeared in a lot of other, like, episodes of TV shows that have, made, that have had, like, theater episodes, for sure. So, a little backstory about Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers was created by Lauren Bouchard, um, who also created home movies. And another great Do- show. Dr. Katz. And another great show. And um, I th- also think he was producer on other shows like Assie McGee. Hmm. Um, he works with H. John Benjamin a lot. And, right. And he also works with Laura Silverman a lot. And Laura Silverman and Sarah Silverman play Andy and Ollie Pesto. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and one of the best lines in this episode is, FBI agents don't hold hands. Well, these ones do. <laughs> Could I just say a quick word about H. John Benjamin real quick? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really play quite so much into this episode. It's definitely one that's more focused on the kids more than anything. Yeah, but he's in it a lot as Jimmy Pester Jr. Yeah, that's true. But what I was going to say is, I mean, what exactly is it about H. John Benjamin? Like... As a voice actor, like he pretty he doesn't have a very high range of like different voices, and yet somehow he's just absolutely brilliant in everything that he does. And they're always different. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like the same wheelhouse as like Patrick Warburton. Like he fills a niche where like you know if he's in a if he's in like a piece of media, then they're looking for one very specific kind of sound. <clears throat> And that's the kind of guy who they go for. And you know what? He does it brilliantly every time. Because Archer and uh, Bob are two very different characters. Pretty much, yeah. <clears throat> and Archer is is basically a narcissist and a sociopath, where Bob is a very you know loving, supportive father. The one thing that I love about the Belchers is, especially in this episode, Linda is so supportive of of. Gene's dream of being some sort of musical guru. Like, she's like, oh, my little baby. I, I love Linda. Linda's one of my favorite characters in the show. All right. Just because, like, for the same reason as Gene, just because she's very frequently not grounded in reality whatsoever. And in, in all of, like, Linda's interactions in the show, you can always kind of tell, and, like, throughout the entirety of the show, really, that at some point she was, like, one of those people who was like destined for stardom or something like that and then just kind of it all fell off well there's the episode where they do gale tales right and they basically do rhinestone (laughs) with linda as like this this country singer right so yeah linda is such a showman like there's the episode too bad it wasn't a musical but the dinner theater where they do the murder mystery and the thing after she goes to dinner theater. Right. So, 
Getting back to the episode. Yeah, we're talking about Bob and Linda, but they're not really the focus of the episode. But they do steal a good chunk. Um, Gene kind of doesn't stick the landing of trying to sell his musical, the full musical. Um, Because Courtney and her dad kind of steal his thunder as he's doing his performance. Uh, Courtney's dad just sticks his head in and goes, I know Carly Simon, and she could uh, come by and say hi to everyone. And uh, H. John Benjamin as, what's the, Miss Metz? Miss... I, I forget. But H. John Benjamin as this uh, secretary of the principal is like, salt! Yeah, and like, that character has one of my favorite lines in the entire thing. Because at one point, both Gene and, uh, both Gene and Courtney's dad are fighting over, because like, because, like, at one point, Courtney's dad, like, mocks uh, Gene for having a little tiny Casio keyboard. And Gene comes back with, where'd you get your keyboard? The way too big keyboard store? To which she, to which uh, Miss Metz says, all right, enough keyboard insults. <laughs> Love that line. Um, every, everyone on this show is great. Even David Hartman as Mr. Frond. This is a very Mr. Frond-centric episode. There's, there's quite a bit of those, really. Um... Like the Frond files. Oh, yeah. and That's a good one. And in this one, Mr. Frond, my problem with this episode is, or basically I guess my problem with the Bob's Burgers world is that you never see the principal, and Mr. Frond is always, like, this should have been a principal's case. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Mr. Frond doesn't really have the kind of authority to do the stuff that he frequently does in the show. And in this episode. Right. Um, Which we'll get to as we're talking about the plot. Yeah, so Courtney's play gets picked, Gene is devastated, and Louise takes him and and Tina down to the boiler room, and he's like, I just want to die here! (laughs) And basically she's like, why don't you just stage your musical at the same night and time that her musical goes up? Which, wouldn't they know that like they're having the secret meeting? Like, what, do you, what do you mean? I mean, like, wouldn't wouldn't the janitors and, like, the people who have to clean know that, that this is going on? I mean, that's possible, but maybe they got paid off somehow. I don't know. This seems like a detail that you're just supposed to just kind of sweep under the rug. But was, wasn't the whole thing around that boiler room was, like, it was a secret boiler room inside of another boiler room? Yeah, it was a boiler room inside another boiler so room. So maybe that one's just not gone to so much by the janitorial staff. But it's bigger than the other boiler room. <laughs> well, that I can't I can't help you with, unfortunately. So, um, Gene, Gene is a talented songwriter, but the, an ongoing joke is he literally doesn't know how to play his keyboard. Like, he doesn't. That's fair. Um, I mean, the majority of the songs that he plays on the show are just filled with Casio sound effects. But how how does he know how to write, like, this musical if he doesn't know how to play it? I don't know. Maybe the same way that, maybe the same way that Charlie knows how to write songs in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, that's because he's an idiot savant. Like, Gene is not an idiot savant. Gene is just an idiot or a savant? <laughs> One of the two? I mean, he's got he's got Moxie. <laughs> I one of the things that I love in this episode is that they have like really famous voice, uh, well, not voice actors, but famous actors like Aziz Ansari and and David Wayne and Sarah Silverman, Sarah Silverman in like these really smaller roles that like 
normally on like the simpsons if you got like a guest star they're in it like the whole episode they're in like every frame very frequently just playing themselves right where here like if if you didn't know that aziz ansari was on the show once and this character is him you'd be like he's he has like three lines yeah you you never would have guessed he was in the show at all and i mean like that must be really like they they have to really love doing that show if they're willing to keep coming back just to do you know very tiny amounts of work like that and i mean even though he's a little known actor and comedian but brian husky like he plays regular size rudy and uh miss the other, the other uh, woman who plays Vienna, I forget her. No, it wasn't Miss Metz. It was the other. Uh... No, I said Mix. Oh, oh, my bad. <laughs> but the the original, the music teacher who was kicked out because uh, Carly Simon. No, John Michael Higgins was gonna do the music. Was gonna do the playing. Oh right. So like another example of a parent like taking over. Yeah, pretty much. Um. Why don't we talk about the whole, like, idea of... I mean, this doesn't really have to do with the episode, but it does. The idea of taking, like, musicals, uh, <laughs> movies based on and making them musicals. Like, taking famous movies that shouldn't be musicals. Like, they made a musical out of Ghost. How? how? They, they prefaced the entire musical on one song and then wrote songs around it. Yeah, I mean, I'm Unchained not... Melodies. <laughs> I'm not 100%. I don't really know so much about musicals. They're not really my thing so much. But in a lot of cases with some of these movies, I can't really begin to fathom how they would be adapted for that sort of thing. They're doing a King Kong musical. Yeah, that's... How how do you get how do you reach that without it turning into like you know He's a monkey. the plan before without before it turns into the Planet of the Apes musicals from The Simpsons? Doctor Zeus, Doctor Zeus. Um, get your hands off me, you dirty ape! He can talk. He can talk. He can talk. I can sing. <clears throat> um, but like the idea of of just musical stemming from really weird places it it would be like doing philadelphia the musical or like like room the musical <laughs> like in in die hard die hard's kind of funny because um in scotland and at the fringe festival when i was there they had one man star wars and like it was a guy acting out in all the parts and doing and wearing different costumes and doing a one man star wars he also did one man lord of the rings huh. But doing like a one-man musical version of Die Hard, that doesn't sound crazy. That to me, that sounds funny. Mm. But like the, doing the guy at the Fringe Festival, did he play it like uh, seriously, or was it like a deliberately comedic? Sort no, of... no, it was deliberate. It was, okay, yeah, that's that's how it could work. Otherwise, it'd well, just be very silly. Well, this one was like ah, uh, the room style, like like kind of unintentionally silly. Um. But the Working Girl musical just reminded me of like all of these musicals that are on Broadway based on uh, movies, just abandoned properties, like like Sister Act and Ghost, and I think they did like are are doing like a Death Becomes Her one, like uh, Waitress became the movie Waitress became mm. a musical. Yeah, like, th these are all properties that have just. I mean, some of them were successful. Obviously, like Ghost and uh, Sister Act were huge hits, but. They Not as musicals. They, well, I mean, they haven't really, like, you know, 
their their life hasn't really extended beyond the time when they were successful. They're not enduring hits and that sort of stuff. Yeah, like, which is which is probably why they're getting picked to make musicals instead of like you know uh, Schindler's List musical or something like that. Wow, you really want to go with that one? I don't know. That was the first Oscar movie I could think of. There's an entire rack right in front of you of Oscar-nominated films. Oh. That's why they didn't go with the... No Country for Old Men, the The musical. Hugo musical. Uh, I would pay good money to see Hugo the musical. <laughs> um, but, like, Working Girl, like, the idea of taking this really shitty Mike Nichols... <laughs> Harrison Ford, Melanie Griffith movie, and turn it into a musical. I think they're like commenting on on like how ridiculous like that entire Broadway scene is because like right. they made a high fidelity the musical and they invited uh, right now Groundhog Day the musical is on Broadway. Oof! And they invited John uh, Cusack to the high fidelity one. He's like pass. <laughs> Understandably so. The only person they could get from like the original cast was uh, Todd Luazzo. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. That doesn't bode well. (laughs) Yeah, so in this episode, like, I feel like the the writers are are just making fun of that incessant, like, turning everything Mm. from the 80s into a musical. That's fair. And... I mean, what other option did they have uh, besides, you know... The kid with the recorder doing the musical about the fall leaves. Red, yellow, brown, orange. <laughs> See, that actually sounds like something like a little elementary school music class would put together. But they're in middle school, so. Right. Um, and I, I would totally want to see Die Hard the Musical. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's, if that was like played for laughs, that sounds like that could be really funny. But Gene has a great line. He's like, ever since I saw Die Hard, I was like, why isn't anyone singing and dancing? <laughs> And uh, they made regular-sized Rudy, uh, my favorite character from Die Hard, uh, Reginald Vell Johnson's character, Al Powell, and they just gave him a mustache. (laughs) Sergeant Carl Winslow. Welcome to the party, pal. (laughs) Like, I, I, I don't know. From watching, like, the Working Girl musical and, and the Die Hard musical, I was more interested in the Die Hard musical. Yeah. And I think you were supposed to feel that way, and... Well, I mean, tr- try to imagine, like, an actual Working Girl musical. I mean, what would the plot of that just be? It'd just be two people falling in love. And that's it. Well, also... That's, that's the problem I have with, like, jukebox musicals, too. Like, when people make musicals about, like, with, out of Billy Joel's music and all that sort of stuff. Or, like, a We Will Rock You. Right. Because basically what that is, not to, you know, diverge too off, too far off topic. No, it's okay. But, like, the problem with jukebox musicals is that they're taking all these songs that don't always have any sort of connection to one another. So the only way to make them work in a narrative sense is to make the main sort of plot as generic as possible. Well, I, I believe that jukebox, uh, jukebox musicals uh, exist just so that, like, middle-aged women and middle-aged men and, like, people trying to relive their glory days... Right, it's all can, it's can, all a nostalgia circuit thing. Well, like, when, when I lived in New York, like, there were student rush tickets, and the most popular ones were, like, Rock of Ages and stuff like that, because, like, all of these parents were taking their kids to see, like, you know, a girl get 
banged in the bathroom while I want to know what love is Oof. plays. Like that that happens in the musical. Oh no. Um uh yeah. And that makes total sense that it'd be the parents buying it cuz I can't picture um, unless you're like really big into that era or you're just a fan of just musicals in general like without any sort of you know, sort of filter on that sort of stuff. I can't imagine anyone from our generation getting that excited about Rock of Ages. And, yeah. <laughs> and I really shouldn't say that, considering Chris Hardwick was in the original cast. Oh. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he uh, sang a wanted, dead or alive. So, at least they didn't do that with this. At least, right. At least they created, like, funny parody songs. Yeah. Um... We're talking about Bob's Burgers, though, not Rock of Ages. Yes. Yes. So, as the episode goes on, like, Mr. Fron just wants to prove that it's it's Bob and Linda, like, doing a really shitty job as parents. And, you know what? He's not wrong, but he's also not right, because, like... Well, I mean, I think that's, like, his base instinct on most of the stuff, because the whole joke behind... Mr. Frond is that he's a parody of like that sort of very hands-on guidance counselor thing. I mean, in the background of his office, there was literally a poster that said, All aboard the self-esteem train. And put on your spectacles. <laughs> right. I that one's my that favorite. One. <laughs> um, oh, whoop. here come the cops. Nope, that's an ambulance. Oh. Uh, anyway. Yes. So, <sighs> that threw me off. So, right, um, getting back on track, I guess, um, it, like, it cuts to, uh, the night that the musicals Well, are the day before, the day before, Gene oh, right. fires everyone and is gonna do it a one-Gene show. Yeah. And... It's also at that time it comes out that Tina is in, uh, like, has just sort of gone against Gene's wishes and is auditioning for the, um, Working Girl musical, too. Yeah, she's playing Sigourney Weaver. My little Sigourney Weaver Chiva. Yeah. And I I forgot how short a time they had to put on this musical when, like, a normal fall musical would, like, start in, like, September and then you would rehearse throughout October. And then, like, a week before Thanksgiving, you would actually put on your show. Mm. Where it felt so, like, like... this all happened in the span of Like, a month. two weeks. Not even a month, yeah. Yeah. And then that's, that's a, another problem I have. That's, like, the insanity. That's, like... Because they didn't want to have to miss doing um, the Halloween episode, and they didn't want to miss doing the Thanksgiving episode, so they just, you know, said, you know, beginning of the year, yay! Mm. Um, and Courtney, I hate Courtney. I think she's so annoying. <laughs> like the first time they introduced her, like she's been on like three or four times now, and like it, those are like, I'm surprised this is one of my favorite episodes because she's in it, but. Well, I think that's the whole point. She's supposed to be just, like, really annoying. And they even say it. They're like, who could think I'm annoying? And Bob's like, well, you are. Uh, you're pretty annoying. <clears throat> um, I, I did, like, in her first introduction episode, like, they killed her pretending. Like, like she faked a heart attack to scare Jean. Um, that just shows you what a monster she is. But, like, I don't understand why... They don't focus more on... They, they focus a ton on Jean, but when they try to focus on her, it doesn't go anywhere. It's, yeah, it is kind of listless now that, you, now that you mention it. Like, like, 
And I, I wanted more John Michael Higgins being like a controlling dad. Yeah, that might actually that that might actually help to sympathize with Courtney a little more as a character in that sense. Because John Michael Higgins' character, like, while funny, there's no reason you should like him in this episode. Right. So I, w- I would have liked more of that. I, I would have liked more Louise. I always think there needs to be more Louise. Um, and when she's bugging people, like, my favorite line in this entire episode is, she's like, hey, Dad, come with me. You too. And Bob's like, Louise, leave that poor man alone. And he's like, no, I'm a huge Die Hard fan. Look, and he lifts his arm, and there's a tattoo of Bonnie Bedelia, and he goes, Bonnie Bedelia. <laughs> and he goes, no one cares if I, I miss this stupid musical. I'm just an uncle. <laughs> and, and and that just feels like such a true thing. Like, it must really suck to be an uncle having to attend your, like, niece or nephew's play because you're not a parent. You're not a grandparent. You're just there right. to tell them, great job. And here's the thing about, like, both musicals. Um, no one in either music, no one in either musical is talented in the slightest, except for the people playing the piano. And that's kind of hilarious because yeah. it's just such a parody of like, it's just such a take on like, oh, these are kids untrained doing a musical. Of course, they're not going to sound good. And I, I love that she has a giant like bass drum, a keyboard and a ukulele. <laughs> She looks like Dick Van Dyke. And an electric guitar. Oh, and an electric guitar. She looks like Dick Van Dyke from... An electric guitar that's not plugged into any amp, for that matter. Mary Poppins. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What? She looks like... I accept this answer on its face. She looks like Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. (laughs) Um, And... Just going back and forth through, through the things, they actually capture, like, everything that actually happens in these movies... Like Sigourney Weaver breaking her leg and stealing her idea, and th- they do a lot of the exposition fairy like crazy, and then then it stems out when uh, Courtney's dad realizes no one's in the audience anymore because everyone went downstairs to go see uh, Die Hard in the boiler room, and people are actually having a better time there, and. Then it ends up where we started with, uh, oh, because... A fight breaks out at the Die Hard musical. Because he assaults, uh, because Courtney's dad assaults Gene with a... With a shoulder pad. With a shoulder pad. From an 80s suit. And <laughs> and then Mr. Fromm wants to just, like, cancel the play, which, that's what he should have done. Like, the, Gene is like, you know what? We should just combine our plays together. No, you screwed up. You don't get to do this anymore. Once again, Mr. Fron does not have the authority to do that, I'm pretty sure. No, like, yeah. There, you don't even see, like, a head of the theater department or anything like that. Like, why does it fall upon the school counselor to make that, to make that decision? That's not his jurisdiction. Yeah, and... Uh, I mean, this is where it gets sloppy. But then they, they put it together and they do Work Hard or Die Trying Girl... And I actually like the songs. Like I, I, I always find myself just doing. I'm H. Johnson, and I'm Agent Johnson, and we're from the FBI. He's Agent Johnson, and I'm Agent Johnson, and we're gonna look at this guy. Well, I, I think the implication there is that once they finally combined their efforts, like the pool of talent was such that it was finally able to click, and they were able to make something halfway decent. 
Um, oh, another thing that we we glossed over was that he promised, uh, Courtney's dad promised that Carly Simon would show up. Right. And she never shows up until, the, like, the throughout, credits. Throughout the whole of the episode, Courtney's dad is just making all these excuses like, oh, she's stuck in traffic. She, she just was got robbed. Car- she got carjacked. And then this woman sits down next to Bobby. He's like, oh, my God, are you Carly Simon? And she's like, you're Carly Simon. No, it was a compliment. Stop trying to hit on me. I, I wasn't. <laughs> Was that actually the voice of Carly Simon? I know. No, no, I I believe that was uh, Laura Silverman. Oh, and um, she does appear in the episode though, just at not the very at end. that point. At the very end, when they do work hard or die trying, girl, work right. hard, die the, trying, girl. The credit song was written by Carly and sung, Simon, sung by Carly Simon. Um, that was a catchy ass song too. They they're all pretty catchy, and that's why like. With all, I can look past all the plot holes because the songs are super catchy and they're really funny and just the idea like fight scene, fight scene, we're gonna have a fight scene <laughs> and him beating himself up. Also, I love the fact that Louise gets to play Carl, the the German terrorist who shows up at the end. <laughs> Yeah, and Al Powell just blows him away. Saved at the last minute by regular size Rudy. Yeah, we're probably gonna cover Die Hard again when at Christmas time to do uh, the Cleveland Show episode. Mm. Uh-huh. Where, yeah, where they do Die Hard. Are you gonna get into the whole debate over whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie? No, because I'm a firm believer that Die Hard is in fact a Christmas movie. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. Okay. Like, it's weird because it's like it's a wonderful life, die hard and like home alone. It's a very Ah. Um so yeah, I mean th- this episode is it's not very long. It it's about 20 minutes. It's the shortest episode we're going to be covering all month. And it flies by really fast. And maybe it's because it's cartoon logic and it just like covers all of these cartoon tropes, but I don't know. I mean, hmm. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed it, too. Um, is there anything you want to cover that, that we may have missed? Um, I think we pretty much hit on all the points. I'll just say one tiny little thing that I noticed that I never noticed uh, the first time I saw the episode, but I noticed this time around. Uh, when the two musicals are combined and Gene is playing uh, Hans Gruber, his uh, his beard is stuck to him with duct tape. And I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, I thought he had like straps on. I didn't even. I mean, maybe it looked like duct tape to me because it was like completely different color from the beard. I loved him as little Hans Gruber. I just (laughs) wish he was doing the, the Alan Rickman voice, but. Hmm. Yeah. So how many bagels? How many bagels? Um, I am going to. I just asked you this in the last episode. It's (laughs) thirteen. Thirteen. If it's thirteen, all of them are in. If it's good, all of them are in. If it's bad, all of them in are. If it's good, none of them are miss. They're missing if it's bad. Okay. Um, I'm only going to take two bagels out, just because like there were some minor, there were some minor little squibbles to have with the logic and all that sort of stuff. And like we mentioned, if we had done a little bit of focus on some other characters, it might have made some other characters more sympathetic. But I don't feel like it was enough to, like those were flagrant enough to really uh, bring down the episode at all. Because it was still a very funny episode and probably one of the best ones in the series as far as I'm concerned. 
I agree. I'm taking out three, leaving ten. Um, I I wanted to see like more of a backstory on like I wanted more from Tino. Tina's one of my favorite characters, and they gave her, like, nothing Yeah, to do. that's true. She was kind of underutilized. And then I would have liked to see, like, regular-sized Rudy and, like, Zeke and, like, how they truly felt, you know, when when Gene uh, took over. Because they were, they were like, okay, I guess this is happening now, not, like, you're being a... Yeah, and, and they just went along with it. Yeah, that didn't make sense to me, because... They should have been like, well, no, we're not going to help you do your play. Like, you just fired us. Also, my, my final bagel is, how do they construct Nakatomi Tower as a set that well? In 25 <laughs> I, minutes. Yeah, like, like uh, cartoon logic. But I still like this episode. The weirdest part is, this is like the shortest episode of this podcast <laughs> that, that we've done because there isn't much to like nitpick and it's just a great one. And I think this is a good example of of a musical episode because musical episodes are supposed to be making fun of the series for even going in this direction. Right. And I, I think like Lauren Bouchard and, and crew were like, you know what? Let's make fun of ourselves and let's do it. And they did a really good job and I shouldn't or we shouldn't be, like, reprimanding them. Lauren Bouchard himself has some really good musical chops, too, so it makes total sense that he'd want to do a musical episode. Yeah, and, like, I mean, he showed it with Topsy. Right. They say that Thomas Edison is the man to get us into this century. I love the Bob's Buskers video that came out after that. The what? You don't know what Bob's Buskers is? No. Okay, uh, look it up on YouTube the next chance you get. It was... Like, there was only a couple of videos made, but basically what it is, there are some short uh, videos animated in the Bob's Burgers style of little short music videos of songs from Bob's Burgers performed by real-world artists. Like, there's one with The National performing uh, the Gravy Boat song. Um, There's one with... uh, uh, Who else is there? Um, Didn't St. Vincent do one? Yeah, St. Vincent did uh, the Bad Girls song. And uh, the one that I was talking about, the Topsy one, is uh, Stephen Merritt from the Magnetic Fields. And, no way. Uh, I forget the other guy's name. He was one of the people behind Kiki and Herb. They basically do the Topsy song, and it's amazing. And I never noticed. It pretty much, yeah. They'll say, Topsy, that's my Topsy. Like that. Uh, one thing about Stephen Merritt about Magnetic Fields I want to say is uh, when we were going over the list uh, Lee DJ'd my wedding um, besides being a guest uh, <laughs> when you suggested the Book of Love the, the Magnetic Fields version his voice was so deep that uh, uh, my wife was like um, maybe that's too deep and I pulled the <laughs> Peter Gabriel one and she's like perfect oh <laughs> His voice is too deep at times. It gets way too deep. I uh, disagree. <laughs> agree to agree. And but then again, I like the band Crash Test Dummies, so... Mm-hmm. Well, that guy is now like a Peruvian like throat singer now. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not kidding. Is he? Yeah, like he, he practiced like doing throat singing. Well, if there was anyone to be doing that, I guess. <laughs> like that... When there was his kid... Uh, yeah. Was that the only song that they ever had? Wait. Um, that was the only song they had in America. They had a bunch of hits in Canada. Didn't they have a, they had a song that was, 
on the whatchamacallit soundtrack, the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack. Yeah, that was that was a cover though. Oh, okay. That was a cover of a song by uh I wanna say Big Star. Okay. So yeah, I mean it makes sense that Stephen Stephen Merritt is a big Bob's Burgers fan. Like, oh yeah, totally. The one that surprised me was that the National, because I have oh, the heard the National have done a bunch of them. Yeah, that's what surprises me. I love the National, but they've done the Gravy Boat song, uh, Christmas Magic, and like, um, is the Gravy more... Boat song uh, "Pass the Cranberry"? Sailor, sailors in your mouth. That's the one. Oh, okay. And more recently, they did um, "Bad News Happens on the Toilet." And uh, that one from that episode about Teddy, uh, Teddy Can Do It, or I think what it was called. Oh, okay. I'll have to show you them after we're done recording. I mean, so there's... Before we conclude this, now that we've talked about the episode, I want to talk about like my favorite things in Bob's Burgers, when they've done musical stuff. Like They had John Roberts do uh, pretend to be uh, the guy who, uh, who sang uh, Simple Minds. <laughs> I was trying to think when they did the Breakfast Club episode, they had him be the guy from Simple Minds, um, but instead of "Don't You Forget About Me," it was because it was the Cotton Candy Festival. It was "Don't You Want Cotton Candy?" <laughs> First it is cotton, then it's candy, <laughs> and like John Roberts who plays Linda and and a bunch of other characters too. It's not Tammy. What's Tammy's friend? Jocelyn. Jocelyn. Uh like. A guy who has like this nasally voice doing like this very beautiful like eighties baritone baritone voice. voice. It was shocking, like like seeing that come out of him. Um, Also, we mentioned the Topsy song. Like their songwriting is really good. And who they get? Like they got they got Cindy Lauper to write a Goonies style. Right. Like, like uh, that was Taffy Butt, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Taffy butt for you is. I mean, I have the album. I have the uh, the CD of of all the Bob's Burgers songs, and they're all really good. Yeah. And then there are times when they just do like covers of songs, like they did a cover of uh, "You're Just What I Needed," and like I just think that I'm surprised they haven't won an Emmy yet. For they like, haven't so- won an Emmy. I don't think so. Not for songwriting. Huh. Yeah. I know they won one for best like television show, but I don't think they've won like any of the songwriting ones. Mm. So yeah, get get on it, Emmys. <laughs> so we've come to the end of this episode, and Lee will be back for one more episode. Well, he'll probably be back more throughout the year, but <laughs> he'll <laughs> he'll be back for the last musical uh, that we're doing for Musical March for TV shows, which is what are we doing, Lee? We are doing uh, the IT crowd. The episode, I forget what the name of it is. But, the work uh, outing. They go to an interesting uh, theatrical experience. So until next time, I'm Scott Kerland. I'm Lee Martin. I remember to say it this time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.